when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors on the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides, and the disciples rejoiced when they saw their Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so now I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, who's called the twin, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. So they said to him, We've seen the Lord. But Thomas said, unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my fingers in the marks of the nails and my hands in his side, I won't believe it. The next week, the disciples were again in the house. This time, Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them again, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, do you believe because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, but yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written so that you might come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that through believing, you might have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. This day, when the story of Thomas comes up for us, a week after the big day of Easter's celebration, is always, always always timely. I don't want to rain on what is still supposed to be our Easter parade, but just look at what has happened since we last gathered. Death and its grief are still around. Loved ones are still sick. The war still rages. It snowed on Monday, and Netflix is going to start adding commercials, for crying out loud. I know. But it is no wonder, then, so many still struggle to believe what we celebrated so beautifully and so robustly and with so much joy just a week ago. If our faith is only, or mostly, or too precariously wrapped up in the happy, happy, joy, joy stuff of Easter lilies and chocolate bunnies and easy alleluias, faith and belief can be a hard sell to anyone who's paying attention to the world around them. It's why I love that Thomas wanted to see scars 
and wounds and clotted blood and bruises in order to know that the story of Jesus was true. I'm sure it drove the other disciples crazy that he wouldn't take their word for it, that he demanded his own proof, that he wanted to see for himself that he doubted. We know people like this, don't we? Maybe we are, maybe we have been like those disciples, I mean. The ones who just want someone in our life to have the kind of faith we have on our good days anyway. Or maybe we are, or maybe we have been like Thomas, who just doesn't buy it. Who asks hard questions no one can answer. Who needs more proof, more evidence, more whatever. And why would Thomas, I always say, why should Thomas have believed those disciples anyway? We all know, as he did, that they were a bunch of knuckleheads. Deserters and deniers and doubters just as seriously as Thomas was himself. They'd fallen asleep on Jesus in the garden, remember? Peter pretended not to know him a couple of times when he needed him most. Time and time again, right along with Thomas, the other disciples mistook his teaching, misunderstood the prophets, or missed the point of this kingdom of God altogether. At the very moment we read about in this gospel story, it seems like they were still hiding in that room for some reason. Why are you still locked up and hidden away a week after the Son of God has been raised from the dead and, according to you, showed up to tell you about it? What in the world are you still afraid of? I wouldn't have believed him either. So I wondered this time around if Thomas's doubts were about more than just the facts of the resurrection. Like I said, I like that Thomas wanted to see scars and wounds and clotted blood and bruises in order to know that the story of Jesus was true. I wonder if his need for that particular kind of proof, I mean, was more than just about forensic evidence. I mean, I kind of doubt that Thomas was counting those stripes or measuring the size of those holes in his hands to see that they matched the spikes they would have used on Friday, or that he was looking for splinters of a certain kind in the brow of Jesus. What if he really wanted to know that the suffering was as real as the resurrection? What if he really wanted to confirm that this was the kind of God we were dealing with? What if he needed to see and to touch and to feel for himself, not just that Jesus had come back to life, but that the God of the universe had really gone to such lengths had really suffered so mightily, had actually sacrificed and bled and died as he said he would for the sake of these people, for the sake of the world, for Thomas himself. Unless I put my fingers in the marks of the nails, 
and put my hands in his side where those wounds are, I won't believe. What I mean is, Thomas didn't want to hear Jesus' voice. He didn't want to ask him some questions. He wanted evidence of the suffering he'd endured. And that seems meaningful to me. That, to me, is as hard to believe as any of this, honestly. That the God of the universe would suffer like that. That power is made perfect in weakness. That mercy is mighty somehow. That sacrifice is the way in this selfish world. That humility matters in a world of egos, that the last will be first, that the first will be last in a world that convinces us to win at all costs. This is not how gods behave, Thomas might have thought. This is not how the world works, we all know. This goes against the grain and against the way we've been trained to be in every other realm of our lives. I need to see it, to touch it, to feel the truth of it before I'm going to stake my life on it, let alone my intellectual assent. Unless I touch the wounds, unless I see the marks, unless I feel the fullness of what I've been told to believe, how can I buy it? Why would I follow it? How would I dare live that way? It makes no sense. It makes me think of anyone we admire who has chosen to live selflessly and sacrificially for the sake of the world and for others in it, and who has the wounds to prove it. Mahatma Gandhi who was assassinated for living a life of nonviolent protest and resistance to colonialism and civil rights abuses in India. Three bullet holes in the chest, I believe. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was martyred opposing the Nazis during World War II. Martin Luther King Jr., of course, who gave his life for the sake of civil rights for black people in our own country. Mother Teresa, who gave it all up to love orphans and care for lepers and feed the hungry and tend to the dying. These are the extremes, of course. The martyrs and the saints. But there are others we know closer to home. Someone who's generous to a fault, as they say, but who's also content in ways that are enviable. Someone who has more than enough, not because they're rich, but because they've decided for themselves what enough is in their life. Someone who's happy with themselves and their life in the world, even if they have some wounds to show for their faithfulness. Don't you know people like that? Don't you know someone who's given up something for somebody else in a way that has changed their own life or changed that someone else's life for the better? 
because they wanted to, not because they had to. Even when it was hard, even if it hurt, even if it left a wound or two behind, I think of the foster parents, the missionaries, the kidney donors. I think of the single moms and dads, the grandparents who do more than their share, every volunteer who puts in more time than it seems they could possibly have. I think of the tithers. This is the good news. This is the holy challenge of an Easter faith. And it can be as hard to believe sometimes so that we have to see it, to touch it, to feel it, to believe that God's ways are different, that God's love is countercultural, that God's grace is unlimited, that sacrifice and generosity are actually the way, that death leads to life, that giving and loving that living and dying like Jesus did and like we are called to do really can change the world. Amen.